Welcome to Living on Purpose. I'm Mark Humphrey, along with my co-host, Dr. Christy Stewart, coming to you from the Circle City, Indianapolis, Indiana. And today, Christy, I have crossed my fingers. I am rubbing the lucky rabbit's foot. I'm doing everything I can because I don't want to have a superstition about today's show. Because that's what we're going to talk about today. That's right. Today was another request. Listener asked, hey, how about a show on superstitions? Right. And and the origins and where they come from. And it was like, oh, that's that's a great idea. Yeah. I'll have to do the show in my favorite shirt. (laughs) (laughs) But first of all, let's before we start out, what does superstition actually mean? Okay. It means it's a belief that is not based on reason or knowledge. And most people I think believe that it's some kind of supernatural or some kind of fate if you will, based on whatever the superstition may be. So basically, it's a way to control the uncontrollable. Like, you can explain it away, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. You talked about a shirt. What kind Mm -hmm. of superstitions do you have? Oh, I have a couple, I think. Okay. Um, I never go anywhere out of Indiana, at least, or especially out of the country, without my sand that uh, was given to me years ago, travel sand from Ireland. And I have it just stick it in with my passport. The biggest thing is I never go anywhere without wearing my Viking travel rune necklace. Hmm. Yep. And now the, it, it's not based off on anything. It's just nope. what makes you feel just, good. Yeah, it's a superstition traveling. for me. I just never do it. I never go anywhere. It's just the same thing I do all the time. And I I feel naked or unsafe if I don't have my necklace on. Hmm. Interesting. Unsafe. Yep. So as long as I have my ruin on when I go travel, I'm good. Wow. Now, I personally do not actually have any superstitions. I indulge those that do because, like, we ride motorcycles, and my brother gave me a bell that goes on my motorcycle to ward off, I don't know. (laughs) Red cars? I don't don't know, (laughs) but, you know, road demons, I don't know. But, but yeah, I I indulge it. It's there. But but do I actually? Yeah, just Well, you know what? You never (laughs) Never know. know. It doesn't hurt. That's funny. But yeah, so we're going to talk, kind of talk about that in this show, and you have found some really interesting facts about superstition. Well, it's interesting that, because when I started doing this, I thought, you know, we're all familiar with all of these. I don't think any of these are going to be new, other than maybe some silly ones that are from around the world. But where they came from, mm. I found fascinating, because most of them are going to go all the way back to the Celts, the Romans, or the Greeks, doesn't everything. It does. And I, I was really surprised with that. But it's, uh, what are we most afraid of? An estimated 17 to 21 million people in America are afraid of what? I'm going to go with Friday. Friday the 13th. 13th. There yep. we go. In the UK, 74% say that they knock on wood, which is, we have a version of that, where you know you knock mm-hmm. on the wood if you're going to avoid uh, bad luck or right. whatever. 13% of Americas cringe at the sight of a black cat, and I think that is low. I think that's as bad as Friday the 13th. I, people, oh, black cat crossed my path. I'm going to have bad luck. Well, when you said the 17 to 21 million people in America are afraid, I got to tell you, I thought that was really high, and I have no idea why. I mean, it, <laughs> it, because people do talk. It's like, oh, tomorrow's Friday the 13th. I'm, I'm going to have to call into work. What? <laughs> right. Well, people do. People are definitely afraid. And not just uh, Friday the 13th, but the number 13 in general, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But some of the most famous and notable superstitious behaviors are with athletes. Oh, yeah. Those yeah. Ha- they, at least that's what it came up in the research. Um, one of the biggest was Michael Jordan, that he always wore his lucky North Carolina shorts on his Chicago Bulls team um, outfit. And tennis player Bjorn Borg 
reportedly wore the same brand of shirt when he prepared for Wimbledon every year. Now, you, you're an athlete. Is there, did you have superstitions when you went into competition? It's been a long time ago. I can't say that I remember. I know a lot of people only eat the same foods. Mm-hmm. Um, now, granted, when I was doing my world championship stuff, I always wore the same thing. Really? I mean, literally. <laughs> I mean, always wore the same shirt. Did I you always, wash it at least? That's I did. <laughs> I did. I did wash it. But and it's funny because it's yellow. And when yellow gets muddy, it turns green. So you can't <laughs> tell people to look for the yellow shirt because it's not yellow anymore. But yeah, I always wore the same clothes. Now, I, would you have rooted that into superstition or was it just? Oh, maybe. Like, I guess if I performed poorly, maybe I, if I wore something else, that's, that's where it would have come in, I think. Ah. If I would have... For some reason, forgot that shirt, or if something ever happened to that shirt and I couldn't wear it anymore, I had to wear a new one, and then I performed badly. I probably would have said, "Oh, it's because, it's because I'm in Gosh. these clothes." Well, and I do think that athletes or teams do that, like they hit the sign on the way out. Yeah, and, exactly. There's a yeah. lot of that. There's you know, shooting the free throw the exact same way every time, and again, I think eating eating is a lot. What you wear, like Michael Jordan, or some people wear the same things, the same brand shoes, the same. You know, you have the same hair tie, you have whatever. I think it it does engage um, in some type of sense of control, and I think it reduces anxiety, which is what kind of what the research indicated. Depending upon which level of superstition, it definitely reduces stress and anxiety. It was interesting because some of the research that said during the times of economic crisis and uncertainty is when people really... Uh, focus on their superstitions more than anything, which would, again, be athletes going into a competition. But notably, wars and conflicts. And Mm. one of the things that they, big research was done, that Germany between the years of 1918 and 1940, during the measures of economic threat, correlated directly to the measures of increased superstitions within the country. Wow. So So the more strife you have economically... The higher your superstition rises. Right. And the more conflict you have in your life, the more superstitious you could potentially be. Okay. Yep. And I definitely can see that. Because it shows that in athletes anyway, there was a lot of research done with specifically with athletes that it, it was shown to reduce tension and provide a sense of control over the unpredictable or those chance factors. <laughs> <laughs> so every time I go to the casino, that's when I really need to get superstitious, <laughs> that's right? That's right. right. <laughs> Uh, most hotels, uh, I think most people know this, do not have a 13th floor. Oh, going back to the 13th. Okay. Yep. And uh, Air France doesn't have a 13th row in their planes. I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. That. And, but I think, too, the one of the biggest things was that I was just shocked with that so many of these superstitions have deeply held history and go back to ancient times. And I guess that would make sense because we do tend to do that. We repeat it over and over mm-hmm. and over again until it becomes, well, we Habit. show it. Habit. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we show, show on that. that. Now, speaking of the 13th, most buildings don't have, most high-rises don't have a 13th. That's correct. Right? Most hotels and yeah, don't have so, 13th floors. And, um, it, and I've actually never known why. Well, let's start with Friday the 13th okay. or the 13th in general uh, because that is a big superstition here in this country. We're going to talk about other places in a minute, but... Where the 12th is a good thing, right? 12 days of Christmas, 12 months out of the year, 12 zodiac signs, 12 labors of Hercules, for example. 12 is a good number. Mm-hmm. 13 is always thought to be a bad number. There are several potential origins of why Friday the 13th or the 13th in general is gotcha. a bad omen. And uh, don't know exactly where it came from, but these were kind of interesting that 
The first one was on October 13th of 1307. King Philip IV of France, in agreement with Pope Clement V, ordered the killing of all the Knights of the Templar. So that's one of the... That's a bad That's 13. the main... Uh, that's what I've always heard of why Friday the 13th is bad, because that's when the Pope and the King ordered the demise of the sacred order of the Knights of the Templar. Now that's what I've heard, yes. Yeah. The next is my favorite, Viking mythology. Uh-huh. A well-known tale that, that there were 12 gods invited to dine in Valhalla um, at the magnificent banquet hall of, of Asgard. Then Loki, the god of strife and evil, showed up to make 13 attendees. So when they tried to kick him out, they became a huge fight, and the favorite god, Baldur, was killed, which then made the 13th guest always a bad thing. So wow. that was uh, that was another reason. And currently in Scandinavian countries, and even in this country, a lot of times, you never have 13 guests at your dinner party. Really? 12 or so 14, ne- you never have 13 people. And spreading in Europe and Christianity is another one that Judas, the disciple that betrayed Jesus, right, Mm -hmm. um, was the 13th person at the Last Supper. And that was on Thursday the 12th, which then the next day is Good Friday, Friday the 13th, the day that he was crucified. So that's another big one of why the Friday the 13th is bad, because that's the day that Jesus was crucified. Now, you said earlier that there's no real scientific proof that the 13th is bad. Right. There is no statistical (laughs) evidence that the 13th is actually... I guess you did say statistical evidence. There's no statistical evidence that the 13th is bad. But this looks pretty uh, compelling here. There's nothing that's really been good on the 13th. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because China has no superstition around the, uh, the number 13. Theirs is around the number four. Oh, really? So they have a similar fear or superstition around the number four as we do around the number 13. Well, I got to tell you, so if you're out there and you're having a dinner party. Don't invite 13 people. What, and if 13 what? people, get grab somebody off the street, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want 13 people at your dinner party. It's, it's bad all luck. bad luck from it's there. Loki luck. might show up. You I know, then you. the Avengers movies is happening in your house. So, you know. <laughs> there you go. Well, the next, sticking with numbers, we're going to stick with 666. Okay. Right? Everybody is pretty much familiar with that. The mm-hmm. Mark of the Beast. From Omen. the 13th chapter of Revelation in the Bible. In modern times, it's believed to symbolize the Antichrist or the symbol of the devil. So there's many interpretations of this and the opinions of what the scripture actually meant in our living times, right? Right. It's believed that 666 most commonly is referring to the Roman emperor Nero as he was a terrible person and not a fan of Christians. So he did like really bad things to Christians. Mm. So some believe that John, who wrote the book of Revelations, was referring to the uh, either Nero or, or the entire Roman Empire because it was evil. And then he was referencing the Roman Empire as evil. When, oh, he wrote, okay. when he wrote the book of Revelation. So that's that's one. Some believe the reference um, is to money. When you you add in not only the, re- the Revelations chapter, reference in 1 Kings, uh, that it makes the argument that the mark of the beast is actually referring to currency. Okay. That money is a f- physical manifestation of the number of the beast. I had never heard that one. I've never heard that but one. But yeah. when you reference Revelation and combine it with First Kings, then a lot of people believe that it's actually money, which kind of makes sense. Jehovah Witnesses believe that 666 represents the world's ununified governments in opposition to God. So that's a bad thing. Okay. Well, Judaism, on the other hand, that doesn't believe in the New Testament, they only go by the Old Testament. Uh-huh. 
They believe that 666 represents the perfection of the world in its creation. So a little bit different take. That the world was created in six days. There are six cardinal directions, and they see six as a numerical value of one of the letters of God's name. So they don't see it as a bad thing. I was going to say, they made a fit in everything else, so I, I think that's, that's awesome. You know? But I think the most common evangelical interpretation is that it wasn't Romans or outdated currency, but microchips, that the extreme government in, is in control and that they're embedding microchips and everybody containing all of their personal information. And that's really not far out from thinking because this is actually taking place in Japan. They are actually putting microchips, uh, embedding them in people's hands or arms or whatever. So kind of like your debit card or your Kroger card, you know, you go and you just scan your arm and it automatically deducts out of your account and gives them your credit score and gives everything you want to know about you is on this little microchip. And they're actually doing this in Japan. But they've been doing this in animals for Oh, ever, years. Yeah, ever. yeah, yeah. So... Well, I got to yeah. tell you, that'd be fascinating, right? You never have to carry a wallet anymore. You just walk by and scan Scanners things. Up. What if that could start your car and everything? Oh. I mean, it's well, look at what Dis- Disney's doing—a similar thing. You get a wristband that now oh, yeah, Disney opens, opens your, it's your it's your door key, it's your payment method, it's your entrance into the park. Everything you need is in this wristband that you wear at Disney. So it's not far off. But you know, back when I I went to Christian schools my entire education, and when I was in junior high, and the this was a big deal, the mark of the beast and six 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 and all the stuff. Microchips weren't invented, so it was something else back then. So right. who knows, 10, 20 years, thirty years from now, it might be something else. But right now, that's what wow. it, that's what it's believed to represent. And the most common historians believe it goes back to the Romans. I so. would tend to agree with that because that, that's all they could reference back then. So right. yeah. Well, the next one, let's move on. When you spill salt, you toss it over your left shoulder to avoid bad luck. Absolutely. Every time. No, I don't do that, but (laughs) I know people that do. Right. This is a huge history dating back to 3500 BC and the ancient Sumerians that they would, they, if they spilled salt, they would throw it over their shoulder. Um, Salt or salary, it was called back then. Uh, It was used not only for seasoning, but also to preserve things. And then during back to the Romans, it was actually used as currency. You, they used salt? payment and, and salt the same as you would you would exchange money. Because, again, it was a preservative. And so you needed to preserve your meats through the winter and so forth. Huh. But one of the most interesting was Leonardo da Vinci's painting of The Last Supper. It actually shows a canister of spilled salt in the arms of Judas, again, who betrayed Jesus on the 12th day. Oh, sure, yeah. And... So salt became a symbol of betrayal and evil. So throwing spilled salt over your shoulder, um, which is your left shoulder, which is this side associated with evil, is supposed to blind the eyes of the devil that is waiting to confront you. (laughs) So that's the French. They still throw it over their shoulder for that same reason, that if you spill it, then the devil's being mischievous. For you, you throw it over your left shoulder to hit the devil in the eye. So you can get away. So so, so prevent the devil from being any more mischievous in your life. Okay. Said many, many religions believe that the devil hates salt, so it can be used to ward him off. Similar to garlic with vampires. I guess, yeah. I was like, but what if if he enjoys a good steak every once in a while? (laughs) I mean, you know, you got to Then I guess you're in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the next, sticking with food, and I did not know this one. I found it fascinating, but that birthday cake candles, blowing them out with, you know, making a wish and blowing them out with one breath, Mm -hmm. why that's important and where that came from. That goes all the way back to the ancient Greeks and Zeus's daughter, Armidus. I don't know how to say it, but anyway, 
That's uh, Zeus's daughter. When she was born, um, she became the god and the patron over expected mothers mm. and uh, young mothers. So as a tribute to the goddess, as she watched over young mothers, uh, they gave them moon cakes and they would light candles atop them and then blowing them out in one breath was thought to send the largest plume of smoke so you could pay homage to the goddess. Wow. So blowing out your birthday candles on your birthday cake in one breath is actually um, paying tribute, paying to, the tribute to the goddess. Yeah, wow. did not know that. Isn't I didn't that know that either. Usually I just think of it being a little spit cake when kids blow it out. <laughs> I mean, that's... <laughs> there you go. Uh, the next one, you mentioned this earlier, crossing your fingers. Mm-hmm. Right? It has two theories behind it. The first dates back to pre-Christian pagan beliefs and the power of symbolism of the cross. Uh, the intersection was thought to mark a concentration of good spirits and served as an anchor and a wish until it would come true. And what they would do, they would, um, if you had you had a wish or you were, you know, merging with somebody else or you would actually cross your index finger with their index finger, make a wish, and then that was supporting your wish and it was a way to support other people. Okay. And then it kind of just evolved into crossing your own fingers over time. Wow. The second theory is that early Christians, it was used as a way for persecuted Christians to recognize each other. It was actually developed during the Bloody Hundred Year War, where soldiers were eager for anything to gain God's favor, and then it would also uh, be a signal to other people that they were Christians. Ah. So like an uh, underlying symbol. I can uh, see that. Symbol. Yeah, because in that way you would have some sort of uh, recognition, uh, right, if you will. Right, exactly. Well, i got to tell you, that's interesting, but... One of the things that kills me, as you brought this up earlier, is black cats. And how many people are still terrified of black cats? And black cats uh, have, again, there's a couple of different myths that go with this of where it originated. One is a 17th century England uh, King Charles I, that he had a treasured black cat, that when the cat died, Charles said that his luck was gone. Uh, and then it was reinforced as true the next day when he was arrested and charged with treason. I mean, think about that. I mean, who you you arrested the king? Right, <laughs> exactly. I, the black cat was not helping you. Okay, I'm telling <laughs> you right now. If you're the king of England and you get arrested for treason, that black cat had nothing to do with it. So, <laughs> well, the next and the most common is it's related to witches. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what I would think. That uh, black cats were thought to be witch incarnates so that witches turned into black cats. We see that in Harry Potter and Professor McGonagall turned into a black cat. Why black cats? One reason is because they're nocturnal and they roam at night and they were thought to be supernatural servants of witches or, again, even witches themselves. And I didn't know this, but even during the times when they rounded up all the witches and burned them at the stake, mm-hmm. they would kill their black cats with them. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I didn't know that. Again, depending upon the century and the location, black cats could be good or bad. We've just talked about some of the ways that they're bad. Some of the other beliefs around black cats uh, is in 16th century Italy, people believed that if someone was sick, uh, he or she would die if a black cat laid on their bed. Okay. Uh, well, what was that? You know, I mean, if you just, it, why don't you just shoo them off and never, <laughs> you'd never have to worry right, about exactly. that. But, you know, okay. Uh, in Asia and in the UK, sometimes black cats are considered lucky. Uh, actually, in Yorkshire, England, it's lucky to own a black cat, but it's unlucky for it to cross your path. Okay, how the hell? I don't do you... know. Good luck with that. 
how do you not cross the path if you, you own, own the it. black cat? <laughs> yeah, you if know? It, yeah, if it walks across and you're just stuck in your living room all oh, day. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, some beliefs around the world uh, to dream of a black cat is to be lucky. A funeral procession with a black cat is believed to forecast the death of another family member. Finding a white hair on a black cat brings good luck. So if it crosses your path, <laughs> run it down yeah, and find a white say. hair on it. Pick that white hair off of it. A strange black cat on the porch brings prosperity to the owner. And the last one on this, a black cat seen from behind portrays a bad omen. But if a black cat walks towards you, it's good fortune. If it walks away from you, it's taking your luck with it. So there's a so lot of stuff around say, the black cat. Gosh. So speaking of black cats, we need to ward off the bad mojo that black cats give us. So some people probably knock on wood when they see a black cat cross their path and they couldn't chase it down to get the white hair off of it. So, Well, the knocking on wood has been around again for centuries in different cultures. It's a common superstition for, again, as you know, people to knock their knuckles on a piece of wood mm-hmm. to bring themselves good fortune or to ward off bad luck. So it's good. It's, it's good or bad, depending upon how you want to look at it. When something good happens, we say knock on wood to keep your luck from turning bad. This dates back to the Celts, who believe that the spirits of the gods reside in trees. So knocking on the tree trunks could either call for protection or a way of showing gratitude for good luck. Or it was a way kind of just to chase off the evil spirits to prevent them from listening to your wishes. Oh. So it goes way, way, way back. That's way pre-Christian. Fun. And, you know, built in real scientific foundations here, you know? I mean, <laughs> there you go, because <laughs> evil spirits live in trees. That's right. I, another one that always has gotten me is the breaking of a mirror. Right, breaking the mirror gives you seven years bad luck. So seven years. <laughs> this dates all the way back to the Greeks, because they commonly consulted mirror seekers, kind of their present-day fortune tellers or, okay. or psychics. And they would actually analyze the reflections, and they believe that your reflections in the mirror, uh, if it was blurred, you were going to die. Okay, so then it kind of evolved with the Romans. They kind of added their own to this because they believed that the mirrors had magical powers and that they were the doorway to the soul, again, because of the reflection. They also believe that the mirror gives people the power of foreseeing the future and are devices of the gods. So breaking of a mirror would terminate its power and the soul would go astray from the body and the misfortunes would be brought upon the one whose reflection was last seen in the mirror. So man, so, nobody got nobody did their hair back then just right. in case. <laughs> so where does the seven come from though, right? That makes sense of the breaking of the mirror, but where does the seven come from? The Romans believed that it took seven years for life to renew itself. So they thought that if a person's last reflection in the mirror and then it was broken, that the mirror would only take seven years and that that person could return to their normal lucky life seven years from now. Built in science, folks. Built in science, you know. (laughs) Well, the next one's pretty interesting, and it goes back more than 5,000 years, and that's walking under the ladder, right? Mm. Don't walk under a ladder. Sure. There are, again, several different origins, they believe, of this, and the one is that the Egyptians believe that that a ladder leaning against a wall creates a triangle, right? And triangles for the Egyptians represented the trinity of the gods. So to pass through the triangle was desecrate to the gods. Oh, okay. Okay, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. This was also reinforced during the crucifixion of Jesus. Back to that again. The ladder rested against the crucifix, so it became a symbol of weakness, betrayal, and death. 
So walking under the ladder created misfortune. Uh, Another myth is that before the gallows were invented, people were hung on the top of ladders. So it was thought that their ghosts would remain at the bottom of the ladder, making it a place that no one wanted to walk. I would do that regardless. You know, (laughs) if I I am not walking underneath somebody that was hung from a ladder. Well, it's funny. It's interesting that in the 1600s, criminals were actually forced to walk under the ladder on their way to the gallows. Wow. I mean, talk (laughs) about insult to injury, right? I mean... (laughs) So yeah, that has a lot of a lot of different myths to it. I was gonna raise it. And none of it good, you know. None of so it good. I mean exactly. definitely. So, but what about something nicer? You know, like when you find a penny, pick it up and all, all day long day you get yeah. yeah. There you go. Some people believe that it's only luck to pick up a penny with its head showing, right? If right. it's not, you, you flip it, it over and leave it for good luck for someone else. The symbolism is kind of supernatural or from a lot of it comes from the beyond the people that have died sending messages to you that gives you good hope as you move on. So when you find money, it means you're getting lucky. The spirit meaning is finding a penny is that um, you're being valued by others, whether that be angels, spirits, or those new to near to you or trying to communicate with you, telling that you're worth a lot. It also could be a signal of love and value from your deceased loved one. So you're worth a lot, but you got a Penny. penny. <laughs> right. Not a $100 general, bill, but a penny. penny. <laughs> Why a penny rather than a $100 bill, okay. you ask? A penny symbolizes a numerology perspective. The number one represents positive energy and a sense of beginning, of new hope, if you will. Mm-hmm. So it conveys purpose, clarity, and focus and carries a message to take action in both the physical and mental realm. So a penny actually represents something uh, more than just... Nickel, yeah. I guess. I don't know, but that's what More a pen, than just one cent, folks. That's what a penny you, represents. Right. So the bottom line is finding any money from a spiritual perspective is a good thing, and the kind of pennies from heaven, mm-hmm. right, is a kind of blessing that the, your spirit guys are supporting you throughout your life, and they, they're kind of just, whenever you find a penny, they're showing you that we value you, and you have value, and we want you to remember that. So the term pennies from heaven is actually a reference to when your near and dear ones cross over and they want to convey that they are fine. They love you and are watching you. And this is a symbol of oneness with your loved one after death and denotes that your dear one's spirit still exists. Well, and I guess you got to kind of put that in perspective, too, because a penny when this came around was probably worth a lot more than a penny was well, today. True. So, that's, I mean, that's true you could probably buy, yeah. what, a farm for $7. So, you right. know. It's there you go. <laughs> Well, it was interesting because when the person that requested the show, I when I talked to her and told her we were doing it, and I referenced this, you know, pennies from heaven German, and she asked, "Is that where inheritance came from?" Mm. Well, I didn't find anything on that, but that makes perfect sense. That you leave money, you leave pennies from heaven to those people that you value and that you want to have value. So that makes perfect sense. That that's that where inherited the concept of the inheritance comes from. So yeah, there you go. Well, there you go, folks. So look for those pennies. You know, not not that they're worth much, but they are worth a lot if you value the spirituality of them. So those are some of the biggest ones. I only picked the ones that had longevity. Right. You know, like your rabbit's foot and things like that. Yes, that links back to Native Americans and, you know, good luck and all those things. But I only wanted to really pick the ones that have been around a really long time. Well, right. Because, I mean, I think that we all do that. And I got to tell you, Friday the 13th, I didn't know that there were so many of them. I've heard about the one with the Knights Templar. Right. Um, but I think it's interesting that people do not like the number 13. There is no statistical 
there's significance no to it. Yeah, there, 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 there's to nothing it. that says it's unlucky. However, it does seem like an unlucky day throughout history. So, <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah. Well, I think you probably could find that every day of the week had a I was bad say, country. But, bad but again, that's happened. what we do, right? We think of it as statistically, is anything going to happen to me more or less if I don't wear my necklace? Mm-hmm. No, but. Am I going to probably think, oh, well, if I had my necklace on, this wouldn't have happened? Probably. That's just what we do. But again, it's a way to control things. It's a way to feel in control. Well, and I got to say, I am going out today to buy my brother a bell for his new New motorcycle. motorcycle. You know, even though I personally do not believe that this has any significant value, but what does it hurt? Well, it's funny. I think we talked about, uh, and, and another show I gave the reference that in Cusco, Peru, one of my favorite places on the planet... You know, their civilizations have been around forever. Oh, right, pre, yeah. They're pre-Incas, but that they were pagan, right? Mm-hmm. So they have cows, these ceramic cows, on the top of all of their houses. A ceramic cow. Well, okay. yeah, they're, oh, I guess there's all different, not just ceramic, but there's all kinds of different cows. There's cows, two cows, cows painted different colorful colors on the top of, like, everybody's house in... Cusco, Peru. Like if you're staying someplace mm-hmm. or on the top of that, you can you can look down all these houses and there's cows, which was during their pagan times and their Cacachua times or their you know their Inca their Inca beliefs. But then when the Spanish brought Christianity, now they're almost all Catholic. So the cross represents you know safety and protection and all of that because they're Catholic and the Catholic right. sanctity of the cross. So they also have a cross. On all their houses. So literally in Cusco, Peru, if you look at the top of a house, you will see two cows and a cross. And sometimes they put the cross and the two cows together. Like the the cows are at the bottom of the cross or whatever. But literally every house. Because just maybe, just maybe they were right. Just maybe we're right. I don't know. But in Cusco, Peru, everybody has the cows and crosses on so the, the top of the house. So the cows were sacred. And, yeah. okay, gotcha, gotcha. So, and so it, yeah, and they don't believe that anymore because they're, they've converted the cathedral. But, but, but just in case, we're still leaving the cows I, on our roof. I, so, yeah, I, I guess that's what we're really <laughs> talking about. When you have these kind of superstitions that it's a just-in-case thing. I mean, of course, somebody can always carry it too far, but right. this is just, it, we do it just in case. You know, our parents did it, our grandparents did it, and obviously my great, 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 Roman grandparents <laughs> did it right, right, right. Exactly. They really, they really believed they in it. So now, but yeah. Well, uh, athletes, right? Athletes oh, yeah. that you know, you're shooting a free throw. You know, you dribble the ball three times, um, knee height, and then you flip it around in your hand before you shoot your free throw. And I think you that know? that what we were talking about before the show is that's kind of like that pre OCD kind of thing. You know, you had to do these cer- certain steps to in order to ensure that something good's going to happen. Right, or explain why something bad happened. happened, So then if you don't do it again, then that bad thing's not going to happen to you again. Right. So it's a way to control things, a way to accept fate, per se, and and be able to control fate. Yeah, and I just wonder if athletes truly deep down believe that, or like you say, it's just a way to relieve the anxiety at the time. It's habit. It becomes habit. Habit, yep. Did a whole show on that, folks. Go back and listen to that. Yeah, I said my necklace is 100% out of habit. So we kind of talked about the things that are happening here at home, but there are abroad uh, superstitions that you kind of looked up and it's kind of... These kinda, are kind of fun. Yeah. So in Russia, you don't want to put your clothes on inside out because it invites a beating. 
But if you happen to do that, right, if you happen to put your clothes on inside out, if you quickly turn them around and immediately put them on the right side and have your friends symbolically hit you, it will minimize the potential threat. Wow. Okay. So I don't go. know exactly so what to say. So if you put your shirt on inside out by accident, uh, you know, have your wife just smack you up before you go to work and then nobody's going to be mean right. to you Right. I mean, that's what I'm trying to figure out. It's like, I mean, it's not cute. There's bodily harm to this. <laughs> Right. Either way. Isn't that funny? (laughs) This one I found really interesting. While Americans, again, we talked a lot about Friday the 13th and our superstitions around Friday the 13th. Mm -hmm. The Greeks are traditionally wary of Tuesdays, especially Tuesdays that are the 13th. Oh, that totally makes sense. It goes all the way back to April 13th at 1204 when Constantine completely fell to the Crusaders and it wasn't uh, the only unlucky Tuesday for the Greeks. On Tuesday, May 29, 1453, it also fell to the Ottomans. And it's interesting because one of the 19th century uh, travel writers uh, said that he had heard that the Greeks even avoided shaving on Tuesday the 13th. Really? Yeah, I guess because you'd slip and cut your throat or something. I don't know why. <laughs> but, but we have a fear and a superstition around Friday the 13th. If you go to Greece on a Tuesday the 13th, know that people are going to act really weird. They may do all kinds of things like we do on Friday. They, you may, they may close everything because they don't go to work like we don't. I, no, don't I was going to say, maybe, I don't know. But I wouldn't want to screw up my whole weekend, so I'd rather do it on Tuesdays. There <laughs> you go. We want to adopt Tuesday the 13th. There you go. So then yeah. you don't have a bad Friday. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. Um, let's skip over the pond a little bit. Okay. And to Sweden. Okay. It's considered bad luck to put your keys on a table. Any table? Any table. Okay. Because in the olden days, prostitutes would put keys on tables in public areas to attract clients. So to avoid risk of misunderstanding, a superstition (laughs) arose to prevent people from doing this accidentally. Okay, you know, now we're going to go to Sweden one time, we're going to put keys on a table, and then I'm going to get all hit on all the time. Well, probably, like, oh my God, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they're going to look at me and say, it's like, woo! That's funny. That's a cheap one right there. That's funny. Oh, in Serbia, we think babies are cute, right? All babies are cute, even if they're not so cute. They're all all cute because they're babies. Uh, In Serbia, don't compliment a baby. Because it's going to bring bad luck. Instead, you need to say that all newborns are ugly. Wow. Because <laughs> you're going to bring bad luck to the baby if you tell them it's cute or well, it's I mean, pretty. who started that? Parents of ugly kids? I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, that's this, funny. <laughs> that is kind of weird. I mean, how do you go up and say, oh, look at that ugly, ugly little babe. thing. Thank <laughs> you. I mean, it's like. That's right. Now he's going to have good luck. Johnny's going to be really good luck. I, I suppose. <laughs> Um, okay, the last one, which I fa- thought I chuckled at this one, in Argentina, never mix wine and watermelon. Oh, bad okay. days ahead. You, I know, what, why? It's an old <laughs> wives' tale that says that combining them is going to cause certain death. <laughs> I don't know. What if um, you had watermelon wine? I mean, would that just... I, well, apparently that is definitely certain death. Uh, I was going to say, you are mixing the ingredients <laughs> mixing. for death, but... That's funny. What, I thought that was hilarious. What if you put vodka into the watermelon? You're not doing wine, but you are doing watermelon. 
there are all kinds of ways you can get around this one, folks. <laughs> yeah, so I thought that one was funny. But those are some of the bigger, better ones that, you know, I thought the Greeks on the Tuesday the 13th was pretty funny. Yeah, that is it. And then now you guys got a perspective of what happens around the world, too. You know, we're not the yeah, only ones that have these kind of like quirky Well, they're things. the ones that came up with a lot of them. Again, That's true. What doesn't go back to the Greeks, the Romans, and the Egyptians? That's true. You know? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. the Vikings perfected it. They came up with it, Vikings perfected it, and we've carried it on, and we just titled it something else. That's right. But yeah, all goes back, all goes a huge ancient history. Well, I got to tell you, there you go, folks. If uh, you ever have wondered where your superstitions come from, now you have kind of a good idea. So, would well, you have any final thoughts for us today? Well, I think that superstitions can help us deal with situations that we feel out of control, right? We are confronted by putting our faith into something because even a false sense of security sometimes I think is better than no security at all. Uh, it was interesting because I did find research around superstitions. And a 2010 study published by the Journal of Psychological Science found that good luck superstitions do lead to increased confidence, which can then translate into a better outcome because superstitions change our behavior. According to Jane Risen, Associate Professor of Behavior Science at University of Chicago, and her ongoing research suggested that engaging in rituals in high-anxiety situations that it can make people feel less anxious and then actually perform better. Again, back to athletes. And according to uh, pretty new research from the University of Chicago and the National University of Singapore, they believe that superstitious gestures that involve pushing uh, stuff away from you, like throwing of the salt and the knocking on wood, those things that are external, that are extremely effective for helping people feel protected from negative outcomes, especially in situations where they're trying to undo bad luck, right? Throwing the salt over because of the devil being mischievous or knocking on wood to prevent any further bad luck. Those are believed that you're trying to undo bad luck. This is because exerting force away from the self allows people to simulate the experiencing of having avoided bad fortune. Back to the law of attraction, right? What you focus on increases and we create our own life. And, you know, as I said in the beginning, there are two things that I never travel without, right? So and those are just givens. But some people have their favorite shirt, right? That they're good for good luck. You know, you got your bell on your motorcycle or what have you. But I think the list of personal superstitions for different people are just endless. And I think a lot of them come from generations. You learn them from your parents. But, but I say... If it helps relieve stress, why not? So we're about out of time for this show, and we have some great news. Starting January 1st, 2022, you can find our show at livingonpurposepodcast.com or any of the podcast platform like Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher. Just search Living On Purpose Podcast and subscribe to the podcast or look us up on Facebook and give us a like and let us know what you want to add to this new show. That's right. So live every day of your life. On purpose. On purpose.